This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. In this episode, I am going to be interviewing Amy Bouchatz, who is going to talk about, she is an editor at military.com. She is the mother of two uh, teen plus tween boys. She is also going to talk about being a military spouse um, and the various issues that have been involved in building a career while doing that. Because Sarah, boy, that that is the more I think about it, people always thank veterans for their service. Like, we should totally be thanking the families <laughs> of veterans and current military people for their service. Because, oh, my goodness, like what they go through. A hundred percent from the moving to the unpredictability to the risk inherent in the professions. It's a lot. And so you're right. We should be more appreciative while it's happening. Yeah, Exactly. You know, so distinct challenges. I mean, obviously, everyone knows there there are many challenges with military life and having a family member in the military. But from the perspective of this podcast, I mean, if you are the spouse of a military member, for instance, there are a lot of challenges with building your career. As Sarah said, there's a lot of frequent moves. 
you know, you're often going to be parenting solo, um, sometimes for extended periods of time. The Pentagon published some research a couple of years ago looking at underemployment among military spouses and just that there was a considerable wage gap between military spouses and people with comparable credentials um, in the civilian world. Uh, and it's, again, because people are moving frequently, so they're having to change jobs frequently. They're not getting the kind of experience. Some, um, Unfortunately, some employers were not taking their resume seriously because of that. The interesting thing is some of that has started to shift because of the acceptance of virtual work, which is just like one of those cool developments that there's this whole pool of employees that a smart employer would have been all over anyway. You know, if like you could do the job virtually, that would be a great pool to hire from. But, you know, people have this block until COVID and it's like, oh, yeah, we could hire these people. And it's, it's really fascinating to me. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking was that like remote makes so much sense for somebody yeah. in that position because there's too much uncertainty if you don't know where you're going to be in six months or two years or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, Amy's going to talk a little bit about that. She's also going to talk about her exciting habit of going outside. She lives in Alaska these days. Um, and I, some folks have read about Amy in Tranquility by Tuesday that she has been going outside for 20 minutes a day since I think 2017 or so. And this includes on some pretty fantastic weather days, as you can imagine, in Alaska, which she is going to talk about. There's some interesting things that happen in the cold. Just tune into this episode and listen, and you'll enjoy that. But anyway, let, <laughs> Sarah's making a face at me. I'm excited to hear this one. Yeah. No, no we have, we have other challenges, but no, this is super exciting. And since I am going to Alaska, maybe I'll like save this one and, and listen at the right Listen time. to that. All right. Well, I'll be right back with uh, Amy Bouchatz. Well, Sarah and I are delighted to welcome Amy Bouchatz to the program. So, Amy, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I am such a fan of your podcast. So I'm Amy Bouchatz. I am a reporter and editor and outside enthusiast based in Alaska. We've been here since about 2016. So I'm not from Alaska, but we moved up here in 2016 because it's where we wanted to live as part of our work-life best of both worlds, I guess you could say, balance. Yeah. And you have two sons, correct? I do. I have two sons. Uh, they are 11 and 14 now. You know, that age where your kid is suddenly very tall, yeah. that's where we're at with my 14-year-old. He is officially the family giant. And my husband is a member of the Alaska Army National Guard. We actually moved up here when we were getting out of the active duty army, which he had been in for about 11 years. Yeah. So you had had the experience of being married to somebody and then raising children with somebody who was actively serving in the military. I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about the practicalities of it for our listeners who aren't familiar with that. Yeah, absolutely. So what it looks like is a lot of solo parenting, solo household running. Of course, this is different than being a single parent because you do have the support of that partner on the periphery. And he or she is very in and out when you're in a military family. But for us, a lot of that was out. And that's still actually true with the National Guard as well in a lot of ways, although it tends to be slightly more predictable. So how that looks on a day-to-day -day basis is you are it as far as solo parenting goes, and then your partner is sort of disrupting your life pattern. 
I'm not going to say it is worse than single parenting. It is certainly different because you have to be willing to pivot to the needs of a partner who is sort of not predictably around and then all of a sudden around a lot and expecting to really be an integral part of your family when you just now got used to him not being there. <laughs> <laughs> because he, how how much was he gone then? I mean, like, where did he go and for yeah, how long so did he go? Yeah, so in 2009, he deployed for about nine months. Um, and our son was a little guy. Our our first son was a little guy. He was just a baby, actually five weeks old when when Luke originally deployed. And then after that, it looked like lots of training exercises. So even when they're stateside, the military member is going off and doing four weeks here, five weeks there, two nights there, three weeks in the field. It's just a constant parade of in and out for these different training exercises, which are a necessary part of getting ready to be do your military service or be an expert in that stuff, but can be really difficult on the family. And then on top of that, it looks like unpredictable long hours. So this could be, oh, you know, I'm going to, you know, PT to, um, that work, you know, army's working out at 6 a.m. and I'll be home at 5 p.m., but then it's never 5 p.m. It's more like 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. or sometimes I'm back at 2 a.m. And it's, it's the unpredictable nature of it that really is the load on the family. And and so that clearly, I mean, obviously, there's the the challenges with with raising children this way too. But um, building a career as well Absolutely. can be very complicated. And, and you've managed to do so. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how how you did that. Yeah, absolutely. So I was a journalist, you know, after college and sort of living the life in Washington D.C., working really hard as an intern and and getting into journalism, which is sort of one of the ways you break into that industry. And then left my career there to follow him to Washington State, where we lived, and I could not find a job in journalism, and or at least not in the traditional way I wanted to. And so I did that thing you do where you work at a coffee shop for a while and just sort of make it work. Well, after our son was born, I applied for a fellowship that I had a bunch of friends who had won a journalism fellowship. And actually, that's how you and I met, was mm-hmm. through this fellowship program. And so I won the fellowship and was able to get back into journalism that way. But really, it's just a result of networking the way I got my job where I've now been about 13 years, I reconnected with a former colleague who had won the fellowship. And he cold called me at one point and offered me a role here where I am at military.com right now. So that was beautiful synchronicity uh, that all of those things worked out. But because I was in a dot-com job, I was able to really grow and shape this over time to be what I wanted and what I needed it to be and just sort of grow my role there as I had the bandwidth to do and as the organization had needs. However, so that, I mean, that sounds great, right? Like, oh yeah, you work remote, must be so easy. Well, we all know in a post-2020 world that working remote takes a lot of finesse, takes a lot of practice, takes a lot of being willing and able to pivot your schedule to what you need. When I had small kids, my job was able to accommodate me having a different shift balance. So I was getting up at five in the morning and doing quote unquote, you know, like if you designed your full-time role around shift work. So I was doing a shift of four hours before my kids got up and then taking care of them, taking care of them, and then going back and doing another shift for several hours while they were in preschool or napping or whatever. Things change as kids grow. And then taking care of lunch, you know, taking care of kids, down for another nap 
or other occupations, and then another shift. And that just continued on and on. And I was able to really balance my role as a parent with my husband being gone all the time with my role in my company by really being very purposeful about how I was designing and my time around my best productivity time as a human and also the needs of the company I was with. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about what you've done for military.com? Because I know bringing in a, a spouse perspective is probably a cool thing, too, for, for the organization. Yeah. So I, start, I started as an associate editor for military spouse stuff. So I was really putting up news content on the site in that perspective. And then I sort of grew into writing about military spouse and families things. So that included covering military benefits as a reporter, TRICARE, which is the military healthcare system, is one of the largest healthcare systems in the world. And it's a huge taxpayer burden, and very few people cover it thoroughly. So I was able to sort of get into that very specific vein and be able to cover that in a way that was sort of like from an insider perspective and then resonated with the audience. And then from that point on, we had an opening in our executive editor role in 2018, and I was promoted into it a couple of levels up in the organization, which was a very cool surprise. And that's been the challenge since then. So these days, my job looks more like balancing my role around the fact that I live in Alaska time, an entirely different time zone. (laughs) And my team is all on the East Coast. So I work East Coast hours. But that allows me to be flexible around my family. So I'm really done with work for the day around one or two o'clock on my time zone, which leaves me lots of time to go play, time to take care of my family, time to take care of my kids. And, you know, they're not out of school until 2.30, 3.30 in the afternoon. So I get some time for myself there to run and whatever. Yeah, yeah. So you start work at like 5, 6 in the morning. Yeah, then, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a, I hope you are a morning person. I am a morning person. <laughs> okay, but like, isn't that part of the key of figuring out what you, it is that you are? Yeah. Because if I was not a morning person, this wouldn't work for me. But I would have known that before I started to try to do it. Because I, when I was doing that shift style work, I knew that my best time was still 5 a.m. And I was living in Tennessee at the time. So I was ahead of the game as compared to the people on the East Coast. But I was getting that deep work done in the morning where you're able to really concentrate and get something great done because no one else is around. And this is your literally my best time. So yeah, exactly. Well, we are. Yes, we're talking afternoon, my time, morning, Amy's time. We're going to take a quick ad break and then be back with more on Amy's story and some of her experiences with her husband, Luke, with the military when we're back in a minute. So I am back with Amy Bouchotts. We are talking about being a military spouse, building her career at military.com, living in Alaska with two you know, teen and preteen boys. But we're going to sort of get into how you wound up in Alaska. And it's sort of the genesis of this. When Luke was deployed in Afghanistan, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how he was he was injured there and sort of the circumstances around that. Yeah. So... In 2009, he was in Afghanistan, and he was a part of a deployment where we lost over 20 soldiers in just a very short span of time. We're talking times where the vehicle he was in was hit by an IED, improvised explosive device, and 
blown up and the people in the striker vehicle that he was in were killed and he was not. And this happened a couple of times and he walked out of that seemingly uninjured in the moment. But the reality is that if you're blown up like that, you probably have sustained some sort of injury, especially since he also was in a concussion. But again, you're looking at the guys around you and you're alive, so you must be okay. So he just went back to work. Well, several years later, we started to see symptoms of what was really going on there, which is a traumatic brain injury. And the post-traumatic stress that you could imagine from being in something like that, it can take some time, though, to see those things from a symptom standpoint. And so it wasn't really until 2014, 2013 so several years later, that we started to notice that he was having some cognitive problems. And I will tell you, even at the time, I did not have the words for that. Really, it was something's wrong. (laughs) And so in those moments, while we're grappling with that as a family, like, what is wrong? How do we even verbalize this? What do we even need to do about it? And of course, he's still serving in the army. He's still working these super long hours. He's still having additional stress put on him for that. What do you do? And so I happened to notice that when we went outside and we had started doing just like a little bit of camping as a family because it's something that he wanted to do, that he seemed like just a totally different person when we were at a campsite. It was really even hard to put words to that. It just was like, this is easier. This is better. And so we started sort of naturally gravitating towards doing that as often as possible because when something feels good, you want to do it more, right? As his crisis came to a head where we were noticing more and more symptoms and, you know, limited camping on weekends when you could get there wasn't really enough to band-aid a real problem or is not medical intervention, but it's nice, you know, we were like, okay, this needs to be really needs to be addressed. We need to make sure that we're getting him help that he needs and in a way that he can receive it. And so we realized that to do that, he really needed to leave that active duty job. Well, when you get out of the military, you can move anywhere. And when the world is your oyster, where are you going to go? So knowing what I did about how he was responding to being outside, we really decided to change what our core values were as a family and try to live somewhere that we could spend as much time outside as possible and that he could have that connection to that easy access. Now, we had heard, we had like, have you ever done anything major in your life based off of a rumor you heard from a friend? <laughs> um, definitely not moving to Alaska. So, okay. um, <laughs> so just me? Great. Well, just, I mean, yeah. if you look at the history of Alaska and of pioneers, in the U.S., this isn't that off the bat, right? How many people moved to Alaska during the gold rush because they heard a rumor? Now, I did not think about that at the time, but in retrospect, it tracks, okay? So a friend of ours who had been stationed with us previous had loved living up here, and we thought we're like them, so maybe we'll like it too. And we really did base moving up here off of that. But the other thing is, when you're in the military, you move around a lot. And so you know, if you don't want to live somewhere anymore, you can move. Or the military will move you if you like it or not. So things seem very transient. That's just a part of the culture. And it did not seem like a life decision that I couldn't get out of if it was the wrong decision. So we made the decision to pack the literal station wagon and move up here to Alaska in 2016. And so I'm still here. I'm talking to you from Alaska today, where the snow I am 
So happy your report is melting, not as quickly as I would like. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. it is sort of late in the year for that, but yeah, here we are. Well, awesome, awesome. And uh, so, did Luke wound up taking a job that was more outdoor based? Then, right after yeah, he yeah. Uh, left the active military. So the Alaska Army National Guard is kind of what he does as a full time part-time gig. It, it fluctuates with timing. It's kind of a weird National Guard situation. But he also was able to co-found a veteran nonprofit where he helps veterans get outside just like he's helping himself and they all get help together. So it's called Remedy Alpine. And the, really the purpose is to give veterans like himself the experience of being outside and seeing what sort of healing solitude in nature can bring. So when we think about going outside and being in nature, you think about maybe standing in a vast expanse and just as the only person out there. And that's solitude. That's what you're picturing. But the problem is when you come up here to Alaska and you're looking for that, it can very quickly spiral to isolation, which is something we all know about in a post-pandemic world, what that feels like. There's a big difference between being alone for solitude and being in isolation. And one of them is something that you're doing on purpose. And the other one is an outcome when you stop paying attention. (laughs) So his goal is to really move veterans who are likely to be in that isolation space while they're dealing with what's what they're dealing with into a solitude space where they have the tools to get outside and to take advantage of that in concert with other people. Yeah. And just to, I mean, I want to follow up on it here that that obviously getting outside was very helpful for him but he also sought other medical treatment for the oh, traumatic brain injury and for his um, yes, mental health yep. crisis yep. that came out of that as well 100 percent. thank you okay. for saying that yes <laughs> so he has gone to several very useful um ptsd programs he also receives help from the va the tricky thing about traumatic brain injury and ptsd is that they are different diagnoses, but the symptoms look very similar in a lot of ways. And so it can be very difficult to understand which needs to be treated and with what. And brains are a pickle. So <laughs> it's a lot of trying to figure out what works best for each individual. But yes, the VA does offer TBI treatments. There's a lot of acronyms I know. They offer tr- treatments for traumatic brain injury uh, that he has also pursued. So going outside is definitely not a not replacement for yes. traditional yeah. Yeah. help for anybody, but it certainly is a support mechanism. And has been a support mechanism for you, too. I mean, that you're, not, you're not dealing with personally a traumatic no. brain injury, but you've found that you could talk a little bit about the the genesis of humans outside and, yeah. and what going outside has done for you. Yeah, well, thank you. So wonderfully, I know you have experienced the, this experiment as well. So in, in 2017, I realized that though we had moved all the way up here to Alaska in this sort of dramatic flair pilgrimage, I was still spending a whole lot of time inside. And the reason was, is that I was sort of waiting for Alaska to get awesome for me. Like, wh- what's wrong with you, Alaska? Why isn't your weather good? But, you know, start to behave. No, newsflash, that's not how weather works. You have to change you. And so I was literally sitting on my porch reading Harry Potter, which I had never read before, in the rain and wondering on Memorial Day weekend, wondering when the heck we were going to have some sunshine, please and thank you. And I realized that if I hung out and waited my entire life for the weather to do what I wanted it to do on my own schedule, things were not going to happen. And also, what would be the point of moving up here? Nothing. I mean, he's getting help. Awesome. I'm watching Netflix. And so I decided to try something where if I to see what would happen if I spent, I spent 
me, not my husband, who he was already living the life, 20 minutes outside every day for a year, how this would change my life and, and what those impacts would be. So I think the predictable outcome is that it was great. And what I learned is that a few things. One, 20 minutes is not that much time. I can find the time for that. And, and I picked 20 minutes because I was worried I would not find the time for more minutes. I picked 20 minutes because I thought maybe 45 would be a little bit of a stretch some days, either actual schedule-wise or psychologically when the weather was not so good. So I learned that. And then I learned that if I did this thing every day, I had limitless opportunities to see what would happen. And I know that sounds like a no-brainer, but the truth is that every day is a lot of days. You can do whatever you want and have all of the days to find out what those things are. It's every day. <laughs> exactly. And it really does have a, an effect on your mood. I mean, going outside is a known mood booster. I mean, even if it's cold, even if it's rainy, um, you know, it's it, it's one of those things between like physical exercise, which, you know, you could do outside, you don't have to do outside. And getting fresh air. Those are two things that can put, honestly, a reset button in the middle of every day. And I know you started doing this in 2017. I've done a couple experiments with it. I know you've inspired a lot of other people too. And I know a lot of people are doing it this year. I keep hearing from people about Gretchen Rubin's 23 and 23 challenge, uh, that people have been uh, doing something very similar with, with their project. But maybe you can sort of elaborate because Alaska is, in many cases, cold. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you have gone outside in some pretty cold weather. Yes, I have. <laughs> yes. So, so, so talk cool. a little bit about that. Yeah. So kind of going back to the 20 minutes thing, I thought the other reason to do that would be that I should be outside for at least as much time as it took me to get dressed to go and find all of my stuff, right? Which, which I mean, if you put your various layers in various places really could take you way longer than it should. So Yes, you encounter unfavorable things. You are going to encounter rain. You're going to encounter harsh conditions. Here in Alaska, those conditions tend to be harsher than in other places. Those times have included hurricane force winds. We had a windstorm in 2021. We also had one this past... 2022, we had the windstorm. We also had one this past year. So I'm getting them mixed up. But it was literally 100 mile an hour plus winds for days and days on end. And this is the kind of stuff that breaks the internet if it happens in Florida, but it's Alaska, so no one really noticed. We're talking airplanes flipped over, semis oh. scattered across the uh, the highway as if a tornado had gone through. And I'm sitting here like, well, I got to go do 20 minutes today. What's up? And how I decided to handle this was we have this little outcropping of our house where it's like protected against the wind. I was like, I'm just going to put on all the layers and go hide and just watch like, I don't know, the Wicked Witch of the West fly by or something. Okay. So I like I had this plan. What I ended up doing was going and playing in the wind, which is cra like <laughs> crazy because you're like rocks are flying. So it had been windy for a while. I figured all well, the rocks that are going to fly have probably already gone by. Put on goggles. And get out there and see what it's like to stand in an Arctic blast. I mean, I'm, you know, I can see my house. I'm not in an unsafe condition. And it was the most amazing experience. I'm so glad I got to do that. 
I never would have done that if I wasn't doing my 20 minute daily thing. But I was like, today will not be the day that I miss my yeah, 20 minutes. You can always just because we got like a little windstorm going on. Little wind, <laughs> just a bit of a wind. <laughs> the KFC down the road literally broke apart. Okay. Oh, like, no. <laughs> it was it's crazy stuff happened here. And I'm out there standing, you know, my arms out, like you like you see in pictures of people trying to stand in hurricane winds, but in Alaska in my giant jacket. And it was it was a really a mind-blowing experience. And also one of the outcomes of spending a lot of time outside is you have the increased experience of awe, which is this feeling of amazement and just feeling small. It can be described in so many ways. But I'll tell you what, standing in wind like that is a feeling of awe that I did not anticipate. That you're just one person in the force of this weather event. It was incredible. Yeah. What temperature does your nose hair freeze? Okay, I think it's like around negative 10. I don't have science on this. (laughs) (laughs) We've experienced this a few times then too. It was certainly colder than that in the wind. You know, you wrap, like you try to wrap your face to keep that from happening. But I'll tell you what, it is the weirdest feeling. So (laughs) to breathe in and be like, ice crystals. (laughs) And if people follow Amy on Instagram, she's posted photos of her eyelashes with uh, ice crystals on them as well. As you imagine, you know, if you're out in very cold weather and your eyes produce water, it's going to be somewhere. It's going to freeze. So you know what that is, is it's less about the eye water. And although that does happen and more about your breath. Oh, it comes up. Got gotcha. coming up. So especially if let's say you have like your mouth like a, a buff or something like a um piece of fabric up mm-hmm. around your nose and mouth. Well, instead of going forward, the air is now more going up. And so as it gets cold, then it forms ice crystals on your business. You also discover that especially as a female, you have way more facial hair than you thought you did. So- <laughs> little crystals form on each little bit of it well that's awkward yeah (laughs) that's awkward yes we'll see where that all is (laughs) things people listening to this podcast did not know that's what i'm saying like i mean you want people to learn something here we are (laughs) but then i don't know then maybe you got some july day where it's light late at night you know and you you get the gorgeousness of it oh absolutely i having lived here now for several years i find it deeply comfort on like a soul level when I go to bed and it is still light outside because it means that the light is here and that the difficulty of moving through the dark months, which is, I mean, it's really a psychological difficulty and you don't even necessarily understand how much that impacts you until it's over. It's gone. It's light outside, baby. You know, so it's, it's really very encouraging. We're at that point now. And every night I go to bed, I'm like, yes, lighter yeah well of course it'll get darker again (laughs) that is the way seasons go after june 21st we'll be we'll be back but i'll tell you what here's the other thing about spending time outside every day you learn to appreciate the seasons for what they have so i know that in the summer i never get to see the stars and i am not really a nighttime kind of girl i don't really like the like if you like do you like the dark no but i have learned to appreciate the stars because they are a seasonal pleasure if you will And because they're in the darkness when I don't have other things. So I appreciate that. The Aurora is, everyone can agree, that's very cool, but you only see that in the dark months. I think I probably saw the moon for the last time for several months the other day. I actually went outside and said, goodbye, Big Dipper. I won't see you again till August. You know, (laughs) 
You learn to appreciate the way that trees, when they're really dark, brown, dead, gross, they start to turn green. I don't mean the leaves. I mean the actual tree from the ground up starts to like get green. And the more time you spend outside just sort of being day over day, you start to notice that. I actually didn't notice this about the trees until this year. And I've been doing this. I've been outside for 20 minutes every day for like 2050 days or something. And so just this week, I noticed like, wait, wait a minute, when I feel like the trees are getting greener, like they are literally getting greener from the ground up. It's crazy. So if our listeners are thinking they're not quite ready for their nose hairs to freeze, um, but they would like to start having some more outdoor experiences with their families, what would be a good way to start? Yeah. So like anything else, the best way to get start to start is to just get started. So I picked 20 minutes for myself as a t- amount of time that I wanted to do because I thought it was doable. Also, because there was research that said it's a pretty good amount of time. Like you're going to get a good amount of benefits from doing this. And so it's just a matter of deciding that you're going to go step outside of your door, start making it a part of your day. For some people, that is really hard. It is hard to establish that habit. It's like anything else, you know, you forget, oh, I'll start tomorrow. This is totally normal. This is like a normal human thing that that you struggle with that. For that, I have actually created the Humans Outside 365 Challenge Kits. They're available on humansoutside.com. And what I'm trying to offer people is just like this little extra boost of encouragement so that if you need somebody to just remind you to get outside, if you need just a little boost of information, if you're not sure how to get started or what to wear, some people really get caught up in that because it's hard. It can be hard to figure that out, especially if you live somewhere with challenging weather. The Humans Outside 365 Challenge Kits offer that. They also have a coloring sheet and sticker and sort of these you know, things that help you feel motivated if that's you. Going outside is entirely free. You do not need a challenge kit or anything else to do it. But if you do need a little bit of encouragement, that's what I have on humansoutside.com as a part of that. You can also follow along on Facebook and Instagram. I know Gretchen Rubin has her 23 and 23 challenge. She and I had chatted about my challenge back in 2018. So I was thought it was really fun to see what she's doing. But you know, you can follow along with that. You can follow along with me, Humans Outside 365 on Instagram, which is, and then my accounts, Humans Outside on Instagram, Humans Outside on Facebook. And what I do is I put a picture up every day of my outdoor time as sort of a reminder for me, reminder for other people, hey, let's get out, let's do this. And I've been doing that since the day I started doing my challenge as accountability. I wanted a way to log what I was doing. Yeah, and I knew yeah. that there was no way that I was going to keep a journal. Like it would be one of these good ideas that you just never got around to doing. And I didn't want that. I wanted something easy. So snap a picture, Instagram, done. Done. Yeah. Yeah. And then Sounds- I have the Humans Outside podcast, you know, so yeah. people can listen to that and hear the, about the benefits and the encouragement two episodes a week. So awesome. Yeah. It all awesome. exists. People check it out. Well, Amy, we always end with a love of the week. So I can go first, um, although I know you are somewhat familiar with this show, so you might might have thought of your love of the week. So mine's sort of an outdoorsy thing. We we bought this historic house about two years ago, and one of the people who lived here a couple generations ago was very into trees. And the upside of this is we have a lot of cool old growth trees in the yard, but even more so, she put little placards on them. So at least some of the trees have a tiny little placard on them telling you what the species is. 
so I'm just like, oh, walking by an American holly or a, you know, <laughs> a Canadian hemlock, um, you know, American dogwood or the uh, various elm trees or something like that. So it's getting a little lesson in botany just by being in my yard. That's great. My love of the week is also trees. So I mentioned that they're turning green, which is very exciting for me. But I have these trees on the side of my yard. They are cottonwood trees. So I have a love-hate relationship with them because I'm a tiny, tiny bit allergic. And they also drop cottonwood cotton all over my yard at a certain part of the year, which is, I find, extremely irritating. But I call them my tree friends because I can see them from my porch. So when I'm just out there enjoying the weather, there they are. And they tell me when the weather is changing. So right now they're getting green. I can see their little buds are starting to grow. It's very exciting. And then they'll be leafy all summer. And then in the winter or in the fall, they'll start to change color. So they are my tree friends. And I am so happy to welcome them back from the winter time. It is just, it's big times here. It's big times. All right, well, Amy, thank you so much for joining us and you let people know where they can get, uh, reach you. So humansoutside.com, please go check it out. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, that was fascinating. So cool to hear about Alaska, what she's doing there, her projects, being a military spouse and all that. We have a semi-related question. A listener writes in that if your spouse travels frequently for work, what can you do to make life feel more doable? Now, just a caveat here. Obviously, there's a huge difference between having your spouse go to California for two weeks versus having your spouse be in Afghanistan for nine months under, you know, incredible danger while that person is there. So we want to make sure we're not the same at all. However, there are definitely things you can do when your spouse is not around for whatever reason to make life feel more doable. So Sarah, when Josh has had sort of extended call or, you know, very busy seasons with that, what have been some of your ways of making life feel more doable? Yeah, it's funny because like he actually does very little travel. I do more than he does actually at this point outside of the home, partly because of our podcast, but he has way more call than I do. And so I have a lot of kind of solo parenting weekends. 100% 100% 180 from a deployed spouse. So I get that. But I, I do wonder if some of the strategies are similar. I make a lot of social plans because I know that I'm going to be thirsty for adult contact. I mean, I love my children, but you know, 48 hours not speaking to another adult can get a little long. And so that is when I will reach out to friends often ahead of time for playdates or meetups. I often have particular friends that I know have partners that work a lot or travel a lot. So I kind of have my go-to buddies that I am more likely to reach out to in those scenarios versus families where we tend to meet up with the whole family. And if, if you may know what I mean, if you, if you do this kind of a thing. And the other thing is getting a babysitter. And we still do that, even though, you know, it's funny, like someone asked on my blog, like, isn't Annabelle getting close to the babysitting age? She is, she's 11. She's still not comfortable being home for extended periods, especially with a younger sibling. So the last time my husband was on call, I had our neighborhood babysitter come twice. Once at 5.30. Well, actually, this time my husband was away. So I did. he he wasn't even on call. He was gone. He was at a conference. She came at 5.30 in the morning so I could do my Saturday long run. And then she came again the next afternoon so I could take one kid to a birthday party without bringing everybody at once. And yes, it was an expense. It made my weekend so much more pleasant to be able to get in the run that I wanted to do and to be able to, you know, attend that party. And I actually had fun. It was like a social time. I talked to a lot of the parents, 
And I'm glad that I didn't have my big kids at this five-year-old party because it just wouldn't have felt quite right. So yeah, those are my two big tips. Yeah, this is definitely, it's, it's interesting. It's less of an issue for me now, sort of post-COVID. Just work travel in general has has changed entirely. Like people do not travel as much for two meetings. Like then people would do that in Zoom. And it's just amazing to me the amount of flights that were taken in the past for things that could have been a virtual meeting. It's just that the culture wasn't there to do it. But anyway, be that as it may. I'm a big fan of my Tranquility by Tuesday rule to take one night for you because if you make a commitment to something, you will do it. Whereas if you're just like, oh, I guess I should try to get a sitter for one night so I could do something. It's just harder to get your head around that. And if you're tired from taking care of kids in addition to working, like you might not do it. Whereas if you know that like every Tuesday night I go to this, you know, boot camp, uh, boot whatever at my gym and then go out with these people afterwards, like then you get a sitter for that and you plan on that happening. Or in my case, going to choir. Like when we were in New York, my choir was Tuesday nights. And so we always had a sitter on Tuesday nights. And, you know, if my husband was in town, he could work late that night or he could come home and we just pay the sitter for a certain number of hours. Like it didn't matter. But by having that, we knew that when he was gone for the whole week, I would at least have that night where I wasn't having to deal with the kids and I was getting to do something that was fun for me. I would consider, you know, thinking through when are the times, like this again, if you have young kids, if you have older kids, it's a slightly different thing Then it's more of like the driving and all that. But with younger kids, if there are certain times that are particularly rough with one person, maybe getting a little extra support for that. So I know that some people, if their their budget allows it, like their kids are in daycare or school, but they, their spouse is not available for whatever reason for long periods of time, they've hired someone to help in the morning, say a couple days a week. Somebody comes from, I don't know, seven to nine and can help. So you could exercise and get yourself ready without people banging on the shower door or whatever your toddlers do and help with the getting people out the door. And so you can get to work without feeling like you have already run a marathon by that point. I would also encourage you to think about certain things that you probably would be splitting during the time that your spouse was home and maybe taking some of that off your plate. So for instance, if the two of you would alternate cooking, well, then maybe you don't cook on the nights when your spouse would have been doing that. Um, And whether that means ordering something in or just getting like prepared meals from the grocery store, or if you have a nanny maybe or an after school sitter that person might do dinner one of the nights i don't know if that's possible for them but just so that is off your plate and then one other thing i want to throw out here because i i think it's, this isn't just something you can do but it's a conversation you need to have with your partner and one thing that i think has helped preserve my marriage is that if your spouse travels a lot for work they need to manage their energy while they are gone so that when they show up, they are on. Like there is no, I was in Europe for a week, so I need to sleep and catch up from my jet lag this weekend. That is just, if that had oh, happened- I drank so much wine at the fancy work yeah, dinners that I just, I'm just out I, of energy. I can't do anything. <laughs> like, 
And, you know, I could try and give a heads up, like with our family schedule. So Michael was in, in Germany a week or so ago, and I knew he was coming back Saturday, which is a real ask, I think, anyway, on my, you know, for me, like he, he was coming back Saturday. And I said, you've got to sleep on the plane because Jasper is coming back from a competition at 11 o'clock at night and you are the one picking him up. So you are going to have to manage your, and and, and he knows this. So I think that, that is something that you really need to make sure that is a clear expectation between the two of you that they don't get to say that they have had the hard part because they've been traveling that once they're back, they are in full in and probably compensating for some of what you would have been doing. I love that. And if anybody wants another example, just for more permission, the conference I just mentioned when my husband got back. We had talked about him taking the kids to the Mario movie. And I was like, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't. And then I was like, he got back and I'm like, no, you're going. <laughs> you're going. And he did. And they had it. They well, it was a time. They enjoyed the movie. We'll put <laughs> it that way. And yep. I loved having two hours in my quiet house to watch Bad Sisters. So it was great. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. That they can uh, take some time uh to uh give you some time if you are covering more of the parenting during a time when they are gone. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds. I have been interviewing Amy Bouchatz about being a military spouse and going outside and all those other topics and her career at military.com as well. We will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.